Have you been unleashed? Unleashed. 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 Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Horizon Advisors Unleashed podcast. This is Andrew Henricks, and I am joined today with my partner, Ryan Cuss. What's going on, Ryan? Doing well. I'm Good morning. In a, in a much more relaxed mood. Yesterday, we were uh, getting a roof put on our Plymouth office, and mm. we had about 10 guys swinging from our house, just banging, banging. And it was it was a tough day. It was a, definitely a test of mental strength um i I think i lasted a a good couple hours before it finally drove me where i was like okay i need to i need to move my computer and go in the basement or something for the time being i was shocked to come here this morning they were done i was oh they they banged it out they banged it out did a a great job would have preferred it they would have done it when we were out (laughs) like we requested but um it's all good. It's over now. And yeah, so it's a little more quiet here. It almost mm. seems weird mm. now that I don't have to dodge all the noise. But uh, speaking of all the noise, mm. something we're talking about today, um, we wanted to you know briefly touch on the current bank situation and also kind of wanted to discuss a little bit about you know the FDIC, FDIC coverage slash insurance. Um, talk a little bit about that because I feel, of course... Just like everything in life, right? Now that something comes to the forefront of the news and is all over, you know, everyone's TVs and their phones and everything. And their feeds. Yeah. Now, now everything gets brought up. Oh, are the, are the banks safe? You know, do I have Nobody's FDIC? ever looked before. No. But that's just, again, it's with everything in life. When something like that happens all over the news, then people start asking questions. So we wanted to try to get... Uh, not ahead of it, but you know, this is something that's always going on, so it's not getting ahead or behind of anything. But just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, again, the FDIC and banks and, and what's going on. So I'll, I'll start with the current situation briefly. I'm not going to go into huge detail. I might do another podcast on that uh, another time. But you know, the reason why this is all getting brought up right now is, is more recently uh, we've seen some U.S. banks fail, really, for the first time since 2008. Um, and that's what's concerning people. The first one uh, being Silicon Valley Bank, um, then Signature Bank, and then now globally, you know, um, I believe they just did get a big funding this morning. Yes, um, the Swiss. Credit, credit Suisse, the Swiss. Um, you know, they were getting very close to defaulting, and um, I know the last couple of days the the chance of that happening significantly was increasing. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens today uh, as more information comes out, but... That's why this all this got brought up. And you start hearing things, again, like uh, a bank run, right? That's a common terminology that you might have been hearing recently, uh, which is something uh, along the lines of, very simply put, people are all running to the bank and withdrawing all their money, withdrawing all their deposits, um, which, of course, the bank is then not the accounting bank, for. Then the bank is naked. Then the bank you know, loses the liquidity, which causes a lot of issues. Again, maybe we'll cover what that actually means in a later podcast because that would be uh, you know, an easy 30 minutes to an hour to cover all that. But FDIC, how are they involved in all this? Well, essentially what the FDIC is, is they serve as an in- as an insurance almost of your deposits um, in the bank, right? So let's say you're at a big, you know, you're, you're at a big bank, you have a checking and a savings account, right? The FDIC will, inc- will cover 
you know, a specific owner of an account of $250,000, meaning if the bank fails, goes bankrupt, goes under, et cetera, they will insure your deposit up to $250,000. Who's that? The FDIC. So the federal government. Essentially, yes. And that's what the program serves as... Again, insurance. And the bank bank pays premiums for that coverage. Correct. And the bottom line is is really how it works. That's that's as simple as it gets. Now it might seem simple, but it gets a little bit more complicated because there's a lot of different rules of exactly what that coverage, you know, covers, for lack of a better phrase. For example, if you have a joint account. Right, a joint bank account. Who are, there's co-owners, fifty-fifty. If you have five hundred thousand dollars in that account, for example, then you get two hundred fifty of coverage for each owner, co-owners. Right? Technically, you're covered for five hundred. Well, didn't you just say there was only two hundred fifty of coverage? Well, this is where it gets a little bit complicated. Right? Some of the rules go a little bit deeper than just the simple two hundred fifty. Right? And let's take a step back even from that. I mean. The thing that I find most interesting about this is, I mean, all these people are panicking. I mean, I'm getting calls, texts, you know, what should I do? What should I do? And none of these people that I'm, that I'm talking to have over 250000 in their bank account. Most people in America do not have 250000 So most people could, you know, pretty much not worry about the mm-hmm. current situation. Not a lot do. That's correct. Um, of course, there are people out there that do, and that would be a different situation. And if you do, call me. <laughs> very true, because uh, we can certainly help. Um, you know, then, you know, speaking of those people, you know, some people will go around and then say, okay, well, should I have 250000 at every single bank <laughs> that, so I can get FDIC? Diversify. So I can get FDIC coverage at every single bank. Um, you could certainly do that if you wanted to. Um, I think that's going to cause more confusion and headache uh, and complexity uh, than what the actual maybe protection or coverage would you know give you as a benefit. Because um, consolidation can be uh, unique and also helpful for your situation. Um, but that's been a question too. Then it goes along the facts of oh well, how about my you know in my investment accounts. Right. Well, so let me ask you a question. If if you're at, let's say, Chase Bank, as an example, and you have that savings account and that checking account, two separate accounts, let's just say it's a single owner. I'm the owner of each one of those accounts. Do I get two hundred and fifty thousand worth of FDIC coverage for each account? No. Okay. no. So it's you'd have to combine the two. And then let's say you have, you know, whatever you just mentioned. Let's say it's four hundred thousand total. You have three hundred in the savings and a hundred in the checking. Uh, you combine those two numbers and you get two fifty. Where it comes more complex again is like I mentioned before the co-owner. So if you had a, if those were co-owned, husband, wife, husband and wife, it. then you would be fully covered because you would be five hundred and you have four hundred, so you would be fully covered. It gets a little more complicated if you have additional accounts like. Um, you know, what we call them revocable trust accounts or a payable on death or a transfer on death, you know, some of these types of accounts. So having a beneficiary attached to it. Correct. 
in that case, specifically, maybe having a different type of account all at 250 within the same bank could be, you know, basically where you could get all of it covered. And what I mean by that is, let's say you had three kids, right? Um, let's just call them Andrew, Anna, and Sarah. I wonder where I got those names from. And let's say you had three bank accounts and you listed, they were all 250000 You're a single owner, okay? One of the accounts at two fifty. me, Andrew, I'm 100% payable on death, transfer on death, beneficiary. The next one, Anna, is 100% payable on death, transfer on death, beneficiary. The last one, Sarah, is 100% Payable on death, transfer on death, beneficiary. Well, in that case, even though those total seven fifty, technically you'd be covered two hundred fifty on each of those because of the beneficiary's interest, because the FDIC will insure the interest of the beneficiary as well. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and we're huge advocates for having. I mean, it, those are one of the accounts that we see people forgetting about in their estate planning and having a transfer on death or having it owned by the trust. Uh, it's incredibly important. And, you know, now that you know this, and if you have a lot of cash, it's giving you additional protection to do it. Mm-hmm. It, it is. And, you know, again, that comes into the question, well, you know, should I have the money in the bank? Should I go take it out? Should I do these things? Um, you know, s- some of these I would call strategies, of course, are complicated. And just because of this insurance doesn't mean you just sit on cash all the time. That doesn't mean that's suitable either, right? These are just certain rules and guidelines that a lot of people don't know exactly how it works, right? Um, I'll take it one step further because a lot of people also bank at credit unions, okay? Well, credit unions and banks, how do they differ you know, I guess for a quick summary, credit unions are more member-driven, member-owned, um, whereas banks are usually privately owned or publicly traded, right? Um, so there's, there's a little bit of differences. Their goals ultimately are the same, which is to be, you know, housing money. Provide a service. Provide a service, exactly. Um, but there's a little nuances, again, that would be kind of a separate podcast. But the bottom line is, is that, okay, well, are credit unions insured as well with this FDIC? Uh, technically, no, because the FDIC does not you know, cover the the credit unions. However, if you are at a federally insured credit union, you have very similar protection. It's just with a separate organization, the NCUA. But they do also protect up to that same $250,000 limit on the account, as long as it's a federally insured credit union. So similar type of protection, similar type of coverage. Um, And the main reason why these coverages are there, again, are because if there are regulations in place for the bank... Um, and they are, you know, hopefully following them, of course, but something goes awry, uh, an anomaly happens. Maybe it's the economy, maybe it's the market, maybe it was bad risk management on the bank, whatever it is, you know, the government wanted to have in place protection for, you know, retail investors ultimately, which are the majority of it, like us, um, that we don't have to feel the pain of losing all our money just because the bank, um, maybe mishandled or mismanaged, you know, their risk analysis of their deposits, right? Which is ultimately what they're doing. I think it even makes sense to, to take it back another step, maybe even before what we took it back a second ago, and just talk about what the bank actually does. Disregard the service they provide to us, right? Yes, 
We put our money there. They house our money. It's not like they have a big safe with, you know, stacks of $100 bills back there. That's that's an old timers uh, um, kind of concept or or dream, maybe a picture they paint. Um, You know, they provide that service to us, right? We can deposit money to them. They they hold it. It's, It's... considered you know safe for security reasons right um you have a login you know debit card whatever it is um and you can do tr- you can do wires you can do transfers you can do all these different things to have to be able to move and transfer your money easily right that's another part of the service um etc but what are what is the bank actually doing with it? how do we how do they have all these employees right how, how do they make money right how, how do they stay in business how do these companies you know make money if they're just holding money for you of course, you know, they're doing something with it, right? And again, that could be a whole podcast by itself. But some of the things that they're doing is, you know, they take money, they have certain, you know, portions of it that need to remain liquid per regulations, but then other pieces reserves. of the deposits, the reserves, what they call it, other pieces of the deposits, they're doing things with it, whether it be loans, maybe it's car loans, mortgages, car loans, loans, all these different things, right? Uh, maybe they're investing some of it into bonds. Maybe. So they pay you no interest, Correct. and then they turn around and put a 4% car loan out there, mm-hmm. and they collect the interest off it. So think of it as like almost financial arbitrage, right? They're using your money to make money, and that's how they make money, <laughs> right? Very simply put. Um, which, again, there's it's more complicated than just simply that, but um, there's a lot going on, right? So... You could, you know, that I guess the the reason I bring that up is, okay, so how could a bank fail ultimately? Why why would the FDIC step in or the NCUA on a credit union, right? Why why would a, an organization like that step in if the bank is taking your money and, and doing these loans? I think well, investments, as you know, even more conservative investments that are high credit rating, investment grade, things like bonds, mortgage backed securities, all these other items. You know, they can default sometimes, right? And you need time to make a lot of investments work. Most investments don't work with a short time frame. I mean, most investments, you get a reward because you're putting the money in there for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, Correct. Just like, you know, even things like CDs, right? And, and, And bonds and some of these things, you know, there's a, there's a time horizon, even investing in stocks, there's a time horizon that you assume, you know, the risk for. Um, and how could that fail? Well, again, if times are tough, the economy, interest rates are rising, all these things that are going on, inflation, well, maybe some of the car loans that were supposed to be paid, people are defaulting on, right? We're not making the payments. Not making yeah. the payments. Um, same things with mortgages. Um, maybe people are late on their payments or not making their payments because of, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, maybe because of interest rates rising so fast and so aggressively some of the you know the pricing that they had priced in on the bonds or their loans etc aren't making the spreads that they need to you know ensure a gain on those investments for the bank maybe they're at a loss now a significant loss uh, because of what happened or if you have a lot of people making that bank run taking their deposits out yep. You know, they, they can have liquidity issues. They have to sell things, yep. you know, to free up that money. And maybe they're at a loss, for example, Correct. something like right now, right? So just like Ryan mentioned, if that's something that's going on, that's really what's happening in, in the background. It's not necessarily that 
it's just as simple as, oh, people are pulling all their money out. The bank is in trouble for that. No, it's because people are doing a bank run, like Ryan just mentioned, if they don't have that cash that they're using, right, which is yours. Liquidity. The liquidity. Then they have to go either into their reserve or they have to sell these investments that we're referring to to generate the liquidity. And maybe they're selling those at a significant loss right now, which on the books is significantly hurting them. Those are things, and then it can spiral out of control very quickly. Um, so that's why when we're talking about all these topics, we've we've been saying, you know, let the professionals decipher the information, right? Let the regulators, the, the, the government officials, the professionals, everybody out there that this is their job to handle. You know, that's where I, you know, digress to and say, let's, you know, let's do our best to let them decipher the information make a best course of action, the best that's potentially possible at this current time so that they can address the situation and handle it. If you buy into the hysteria and, and cause more of a problem because people are buying into the fear uh, and the hysteria, that could cause more issues, right? Maybe issues that weren't even going to relate to you, but now they are because we have mass amounts of people that are you know, basically buying in on the fear, I mean, what I would say now is a good time. If I was going to do anything right now, what I would do is I would look at my banking relationship and say, do I like this bank? Do I trust this bank? What am I getting from them? You know, what are the rewards? What are the benefits? What's the technology? And evaluate who you're doing your banking with. I mean, there's a lot of regional banks, smaller banks that people use in the community that, you know, may not you know, have the scale as some of these big national banks. So, I mean, that's something, you know, to really look at. I know I made a big change uh, about a year ago. I used to use multiple banks and I went through a process and, and said, really, what do I want out of the bank? And I went through a bunch of evaluation, chose the one I felt most comfortable with. And, um, you know, I trust them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's... Of course, every relationship, there has to be some sort of trust component to there. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of banks, a lot of credit unions, there's a lot of options out there. So I definitely agree with what Ryan just said. Um, at the end of the day, the, the whole purpose, I guess, of the bank and FDIC and all the topics that we just talked about is, although it might seem simple on the outside, there is still a lot of complexity and intricate things that are happening in the background. So what all I say is for when we say like ignore the noise, right? It's going to be easy to see all this information, buy into it and try to make an action because people feel like they need to do Makes something. Makes them feel better. Correct. You know, maybe it puts a bandaid over their you know, mental, emotional feelings for the time being because they need to do an action to feel like they're doing something. When in reality, sometimes, uh, you know, in situations like this, remaining calm and doing nothing, doing nothing can actually net a better result potentially. Now, of course, obviously there's outliers and nothing is guaranteed, but, you know, let all I'll say is just remember that a lot of people out there have agendas and biases towards certain topics that they'll pounce on these types of situations uh, in these events to push their own agenda, which can instill more fear um, in what is actually going on. So, you know, understand the FDIC coverage, understand what you have, understand how your bank works and what you're doing with them, trust them, um, 
And again, I think I think we'll have more topics on this in the future because I don't think this subject matter is going away. Yeah, we'll see how this soon. shakes out. So we'll see what shakes out, and then we'll maybe do another one. So um, thanks, Ryan, for the uh, yeah. for the brief coverage on banks, and we'll see everybody soon. Have a good one. See ya. Disclosure, Ryan Cuss, President, Financial Planner, Alexander Dinzer, Managing Director, Financial Planner, Andrew Henricks, Financial Planner. Securities and advisory services offered through Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. Satera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Tax planning services offered by Horizon Advisors. Tax and accounting services provided by Horizon Advisors CPA. Satera Advisor Networks nor any of its representatives do not provide tax nor accounting services. The views stated in this podcast are not necessarily the opinion of Satera Advisor Networks LLC and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Due to volatility within the markets, opinions are subject to change without notice. Information is based on sources believed to be reliable. However, their accuracy or completeness cannot be guaranteed. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure a profit or protect against loss in a declining market. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment strategy will be successful. Distributions from traditional IRAs and employer-sponsored retirement plans are taxed as ordinary income and, if taken prior to reaching age 59 and a half, may be subject to an additional 10% IRS tax penalty. Converting from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA is a taxable event. A Roth IRA offers a tax-free withdrawals on taxable contributions. To qualify for the tax-free and penalty-free withdrawal of earnings, a Roth IRA must be in place for at least five tax years, and the distribution must take place after age 59 and a half or due to death, disability, or a first-time home purchase up to a $10,000 lifetime maximum. Depending on state law, Roth IRA distributions may be subject to state taxes. There is a surrender charge imposed generally during the first five to seven years that you own the contract in an annuity. Withdrawals prior to age 59 and a half may result in a 10% IRS tax penalty in addition to any ordinary income tax. The guarantee of the annuity is backed by the financial strength of the underlying insurance company. Investment sub-account values will fluctuate with changes in market conditions. An investment in a variable annuity involves investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Variable annuities are designed for long-term investing. The contract, when redeemed, may be worth more or less than the total amount you invested. Variable annuities are subject to insurance-related charges, including mortality and expense charges, administrative fees, and the expenses associated with the underlying sub-accounts. Investing in mutual funds is subject to risk and loss of principal. There is no assurance or certainty that any investment strategy will be successful in meeting its objectives. Variable annuities, exchange-traded funds, and mutual funds are sold by prospectus only. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the variable annuity, mutual fund, or ETF carefully before investing. The prospectus contains this and other information about the product. 
Contact Alexander Dinser at 5455 Corporate Drive, Suite 210, Troy, Michigan, 48098, or 248-265-6662 to obtain a prospectus, which should be read carefully before investing or sending money. Again, Horizon Advisors, 5455 Corporate Drive, Suite 210, Michigan, 48098.